right when you don't know what to do just keep on breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com along with my lovely co-host former mayor of a california beach town and best-selling author debbie peterson and we're also coming to you live and on demand 24 7 on numerous syndicated radio network podcasts on 26 global audio and video platforms including iHeartRadio iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, the list goes on and on. <laughs> and in fact, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. Marianne Alda, one of the first African-American daytime soap opera heroines. I thought you looked familiar. <laughs> Starring as criminal attorney Dee Dee Bannister on ABC's Edge of Night. Today, she's prosecuting ageism with her TEDx talk, Ageism is a Bully, Stand Up to It. Uh, it's a solo show. Getting old is a bitch, but I'm going to wrestle that bitch to the ground. And as an AARP age disruptor, thanks to syndicated re reruns, she's still often recognized as Lita Ford Anthony's yuppie from hell girlfriend on CBS's Designing Women. But before we get started, I do want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, certified nutritionist. Amy Fox is on a mission to educate everyone about how our food choices affect our health and happiness. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global audio and video networks that I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. So great to have you on the show, Marianne. Uh, great to be here, Dave. <laughs> After a few little um, technical mishaps, we're, we're finally together. You know, it's funny because you, you're talking about being a caregiver. Somehow in my um, in my earbuds, it sounds like caregiver. I thought, is this a show about beer? <laughs> A caregiver. Now that's an interesting caregiver. concept. I'll try to enunciate you know, better. <laughs> so I'd like to ask my first guest, just who is Marianne Alda and why was she placed on this earth? I was placed on this. You know, funny you should ask that. <laughs> I have the, I have this belief that actually my mantra, my uh, what I live by, talent is what God gives to you. What you do with it is your gift to God. And Amen. I think that God gave me this talent to make people laugh, to get them to think. I am a born entertainer. And I'm the only person in my family who's in the entertainment industry. And um, good Catholic school girl that I was, <laughs> I... I thought, well, maybe there's something wrong with me that I want to be, you know, is it something I need to cure myself from, from wanting to uh, to be out there so much. And then I, in college, I discovered Carl Jung. And I looked at my parents and 
what they brought to my DNA. And I realized that I am genetically predisposed to be an entertainer. My dad was involved in politics. My mom was, had a great sense of humor. And, you know, I am just, God made me this way. So, Well, yeah. you can't argue with that. <laughs> no. So what, I just want to ask you, what got you into the uh, show business? Uh, at what age? And, and was, it, uh, was it successful at first or took a lot of challenges and hard knocks before you made it to your own show? Well, you know, this is, my father was a Pullman porter on the railroad. And when he, he was, so he was gone a lot of the time, but when he would come home, he would bring like loose change, his tips and books that people would leave. So I can remember nine years old reading Psycho Cybernetics. Oh, I love that book. Okay. That changed my life. Yes. Okay. I was reading it at nine years old. Wow. And, you know, and, you know, Think and Grow Rich and, and all of these books wow. as a kid. And one of my favorite authors was uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder. I was very mm. big on I The Little House her. on the Prairie. Mine too. So I would, and I grew up in the Midwest in Chicago and those really snowy winters, I would imagine myself out on the prairie and I would imagine myself in a world different from my own. So my imagination was always very vivid. And when I was, um, I guess around six or seven, I was a big fan of the Mickey Mouse Club. And I knew all the songs. I mean, as a matter of fact, today is Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. You know what I mean? We're gonna have a special guest. Okay, I know all of them. Keep off them jogging. And when I was little, I was a big fan of Annette Funicello because she had olive skin. Kind of looked had, like her, actually. And she had dark curly hair. And I thought, there's somebody who looks like me. <laughs> and I wanted to be a musketeer. That became my, you know, and I was reading Psycho-Cybernetics. And I thought, I can create this for myself. Maybe you should uh, cast for the Annette Funicello story. <laughs> well, oddly enough, right after, it was either right after or before, it was 4.30 Four thirty-four o'clock. The Edge of Night was bumper to bumper with the Mickey Mouse Club. <laughs> and when I do motivational speaking to young people, especially, I tell them that the secret of dreaming big, dreaming a really big dream, aiming for the stars, is that if you don't make it, you can you'll still get to the moon. And I say, I never made it to the Mickey Mouse Club, but I got to be on the Edge of Night. <laughs> And second best ain't half bad. On the edge of yeah. the Mickey Mouse Club. On the edge of the Mickey Mouse Club, right. Wow. Uh, Debbie, you want to ask a question? Sure. I, switching, well, switching a little bit, um, I was really intrigued by one of the comments that you made 
um, about say your age. And I know that was kind of one of your, maybe one of your last things, but it's interesting because I do that now. I just figure I'm going to go around saying, hey, I'm 67. But one of my problems is I'm starting to feel my age more. <laughs> so well, at least I you don't think, look your age. What just was it? But, but, but you know, I, I'm 75. And when people tell wow. me I don't look my age, I say, yes, I do. It's just that we're not used to seeing this on television. And, you know, I may be getting ahead of myself here, but I made a great living in television as an actress. And when I hit my mid-50s, the casting director stopped calling because ageism is very prevalent in Hollywood. It's getting better, though. And I became a hypnotherapist because I think actors have a natural curiosity about human behavior and motivation. And I had to make a living. And I spent a year in training at the hypnosis motivation Institute in Tarzana, California. You can learn to hypnotize somebody probably in a weekend, but it Mm -hmm. takes longer to learn how to use it therapeutically. And most of my clients were from the Tarzana and Sino area. And they wanted for nothing. They had lovely homes. They were starting to become empty nesters. They had careers. But they were suffering midlife depression. And that's when I realized that we as a culture have all been hypnotized into believing that women lose value and social and sexual currency as we get older. And the funny thing is that the positive suggestions I gave to my clients took root in my own subconscious mind. And eventually I reclaimed my acting career because I had to walk my talk. And my very first solo show I did at the HMI auditorium and it was snap out of it. You've only been hypnotized into believing you're over the hill. And that just became, I started doing sketch shows and uh, stand up comedy all geared towards an audience that was underserved, undervalued, and underappreciated. And when I do humor about aging, I don't do self-deprecatory humor. It's everything to to uh, celebrate getting older. You know, I don't do those, oh, everything is sagging and that, you know, no. Even when, I'll tell you one joke that I, that goes over really big because I am a uterine cancer survivor. Wow. As as soon as I finished my radiation, I immediately got into a stand-up workshop uh, of women. And one of my jokes that goes over really big is that just because I no longer have a uterus does not make me feel like I am less than a woman. I think of my hysterectomy as an internal Brazilian. If you're going to landscape the runway, why not declutter the terminal? I'm still good for happy landings. (laughs) You know, and women who have survived uterine cancer have come up to me after the shows and, you know, sometimes crying, sometimes, you know, thanking me, embracing me, you know, because they have felt shame about being less than a woman or, and, and I got them to laugh. That's the thing I love about comedy is that comedy is a way of delivering difficult truths in a way that we 
don't build up a defense against it. You know, a little bit of sugar helps the medicine go down. So thank you, Mary Poppins. Um, but yeah, so I consider what I do as an actor kind of like my ministry, you know? Oh, and well, going back to your first question, that's like, that's what God gave me. <laughs> yeah, It works I, well as a caregiver too, because you've really got to be able to laugh at stuff that you might not have laughed at when you were younger. And that's how my family always handles it. And it does work. It does work. It, but, you know, it offends people sometimes because we laugh at stuff that maybe other people don't think is very funny. <laughs> but it well, works. It works for us. Yeah, but, you know, that's a good thing. I mean, that's anything you want to share about, you know. Your- oh, <laughs> spoken like a true therapist. I just think, you know, things surrounding death. Um, at funerals and we're we're able to be honest and we can do it with a sense of humor we're able to talk about death because we can laugh at it sometimes Mm -hmm. Um, for instance my mother when she was dying uh, she really just wanted to take her morphine and go and she wasn't ready she had something she had to deal with first and she took her morphine she went to sleep and she woke up and looked at my brother and she said oh it's you (laughs) (laughs) she was expecting jesus (laughs) and so you know, it's that kind of thing <laughs> on her deathbed. <laughs> oh, that's well. Yeah, my um, I had a a tumultuous childhood with my mother. Um, she was, you know, smart and funny, but I think in today's world, she might have been diagnosed as bipolar. But it's like I didn't know if I was going to get milk and cookies <sighs> when I got home from school, if I was going to get yelled, smacked, and yelled at. So, um. I think there was a part of me growing up that was this wounded child. And then I think I, when I first became a hypnotherapist, I was a wounded healer. I still feel I'm a healer, but I've, I've done my own therapy. So I've gotten rid of those wounds to the point that during my mother, the last year of my mother's life, when she was, she'd had a couple of strokes and she was kind of, losing it my this time my my mother had moved in with my sister my sister was living in new york i was living in california at the time and my sister said i could really use some help with mom so i moved to new york they were living on long island i realized that there was no way i could continue i couldn't audition or anything or be gone during the day because i couldn't leave her alone that's really when i started doing stand-up comedy because my sister would come home and then when she was then to take care of my mother, I would go into the city just so I wouldn't lose my mind. <laughs> and I remember it was like maybe, I guess because I was healed and there was nothing else that I, I wanted or needed from my mother. I was able to look at her with compassion because I realized that she had had a difficult childhood. There was probably something about me that triggered her about her own unhappiness. And there was nothing that I could needed to take personally. So I, I'd gotten rid of my stuff so I could just be there for her. And it, I was very gratified that I could give this woman in the last year of her life joy and happiness because I didn't want anything from her this this at by this point but a funny thing happened I remember I was bringing her her lunch and I brought her her lunch and we were sitting down and I sat with her we would eat our lunch together 
And she said, she looked at me and she said, what's your name? And I said, Marianne. And she looked kind of puzzled and she said, that's my daughter's name. <laughs> but I like you better. <laughs> she, you know, and it was, you know, if I had still been in my wound, oh, that would have been devastating. But I thought it was just hilarious. Well, I thought, well, she likes me finally, <laughs> you know, and it was, you know, but those are the things, yeah, you have to, being a caregiver, you really, you, you got to be healed. You well, you're really to, talking, you're really talking yeah. about forgiveness here. Yeah. And you, you mentioned how important forgiveness is. I mean, it's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. Yeah. It doesn't hurt the person who you're trying to, you know, uh, throw those daggers at. It only hurts you. And it's right. a base of cancer and ulcers and all that stuff. Talk about forgiveness or unforgiveness. Well, I think, well, this is something interesting. When I was diagnosed with uterine cancer, first thing I did was to do a little meditation because I'm, I'm healthy. I think of myself as an upbeat, positive person. I exercise, I eat right. I do all those things. You know, I get my checkups. I'm thinking I'm healthy. So I asked my body, what was the message in this? What did I need to know? So I didn't have to go through this anymore. And the message that I got was that I was kinder to everybody else than mm. I was to myself. You know, so it's like to be forgiving of other people, that came easy, but I was so much harder on myself. And I kind of went, whoa. And I had to take a look at that. And and maybe some of this is Catholic school. Maybe some of this is, you know, my upbringing from, with, from parents who had grown up in the Jim Crow South and told me, you know, you have to work hard, you have to do this. I was never as forgiving of my mistakes or my failures and maybe, oh, I can't do that. Oh, you know, I was really hard on myself. And after I was diagnosed with cancer, I thought, oh, no, I'm going to let all that go. And I did. I took a look at where I had been neglecting myself. And I thought, I'm going to be, I made a conscious decision to be my own best friend, mm -hmm. to treat myself as lovingly as I do the people that I love, the other people that I love. Wow. So yeah, forgiveness begins at home. <laughs> Abby, you got uh, another question? Yeah, I. You mentioned at at one point in when you were corresponding with Dave that you had a, mm -hmm. a snap technique that would help us with internalized aging. So if you could just explain a little bit more about internalized aging, okay. um, in case I've forgotten, maybe you already have. <laughs> and um, then if you can uh, tell us about your snap technique. Well, I, we, we tend to internalize aging just by the, the images we see on TV, by the negative self-talk. You know, we sometimes, you know, like I said, I need to be kinder to my, as kind to myself as I am to other people. We need to be more accepting about getting older than putting us down. We put ourselves down for it. 
You know, you say, oh, I'm having a senior moment or, oh, I feel so tired or, oh. And the thing about the subconscious mind is it doesn't get irony. It doesn't get the joke. It's very literal. So when you say, oh, I'm tired, the subconscious mind hears that and goes like, well, yeah, I guess we are. You know, and yeah. and you will then begin to behave accordingly. Uh, so my snap technique, you know, is actually double S, double N, triple A, triple P. Begins with self-love, self-care, NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming, which is self-talk. No, the power of saying no. Awareness, acceptance, appreciation, acceptance for the things we cannot change, appreciation for the things that we that we often forget to celebrate. Um, and a uh, passion, purpose, and pride. Hmm. Those ten things. Starting off with with self love. Start up every morning when you're brushing your teeth. Look into the mirror. Look into your eyes and say. I love you, Marianne. Of course, you would say, I love you. You could all tell you, I love you, Marianne, but you say, insert your name here and just tell yourself, I love you. Your subconscious mind is going to get that and it sets the tone for your whole day. Okay, self-love, self-care. Set an intention to do one thing good for yourself that day. Because once you get your day started, you're off and running and you forget. Set an intention first thing in the morning. If it's something as simple as, oh, I'm going to remember I didn't drink enough water yesterday. I'm going to make sure I drink enough water today. Or I ate junk food yesterday. Today, I'm going to make sure I eat a salad. Or I've been eating really well all week. Today, I'm going to give myself a cookie. Just but set an intention because, again, the subconscious mind recognizes that you are doing something good for yourself and it will begin to then seek out other good things for you. So the, and then aware I have uh, put a little rubber band on your wrist sometimes. And when you find yourself um, saying, oh, I can't believe I did that. That was so stupid or whatever. Catch yourself, snap the rubber band, become aware of the negative self-talk. I worked with Della Reese and there was something that she used to say, she was a unity minister. She used to say, be careful about what you're thinking about when you're not thinking about what you're thinking about. Hmm. In other words, become aware of those fleeting thoughts that you're not paying any attention to that might be negative that just sink into your subconscious mind yeah so, i do that i do that somebody told me um why are you thinking what you're thinking and why are you feeling what you're feeling you know we'll go off and all of a sudden we'll feel this thing in our gut and we'll stop for a moment there's ah oh, must be heartburn and just keep on walking no right. i stop and i say wait a minute where did that come from yeah. somebody planted a seed in my mind you know the devil what whatever and unless you identify it and say, well, that's not true. I don't believe that. And pluck that out by the root. It's going to germinate. And maybe right. in five, six, 10, 20, 30 weeks from now, that thing is going to be a monster sabotaging what you're trying to do. Well, not only identifying it, but um, 
challenging it mm. with with something with a positive thought. You know, say, I am so stupid today. Marianne, how smart of you to recognize that you just did something dumb. You won't do that anymore. Yeah. You know, because yeah, sometimes, good. you know, you just you reframe all of those those negatives. And, you know, initially, you know, and you like I said, you don't take it beyond something that your subconscious isn't ready to accept. So for, mm -hmm. for example, if you said, oh, I just did something really, really stupid. To turn around and say, "You're brilliant," you know, you 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 might build it. But if you said, "Well," but if you say, "Well, how smart of you to recognize that you just did a dumb thing," yeah, that good was catch. really yeah. yeah, that yeah, good catch, good for you, and you give yourself an add a girl or an add a boy for doing that. But yeah, each one of those things so self love, self care, be awareness. Uh, I'm gonna just skip the A's and I'll go to the P's now. Especially <laughs> for older people, because I'm I'm writing a book and I want you to bring me back on when I've got the book. Okay, when I finish with the book. But passion, purpose, and pride. It's really important to find something that you're passionate about as you get older. Something that makes you want to get up in the morning. Sometimes it's something that you pursued maybe in your childhood and you let it go away, you know, pick up the tuba again, if you want to, you know, start playing piano again, join a chorus, but take steps to do those, to do something. Um, find out what you love to do that's going to motivate you to put the energy into doing it. Not because it's good for you, but because it's something that you want to do. Do an inventory yep. and just do it no matter how simple it seems. So that, and then purpose, I think as you get older, like I said, I look at my acting career as my ministry. I feel like I'm ministering, especially to older women. Uh, that's my purpose. Have a purpose in life. You know, as, like the question you asked at the beginning, um, Dave, why did God put me here? Figure that out. If you haven't asked yourself that question lately, ask it today. Figure it out and, and come up with a good answer. Or if you can't come up with a good answer, ask yourself that question before you go to bed and then tell your subconscious to deliver the question in the morning. I mean, this is my idea, my idea of prayer. These are my con conversations with God. Yo, God, listen. In my humanness, I cannot figure this out. I've got the question. I don't have the answer. But my human brain can't figure it out. But you're God. You've got all the answers. So I'm not going to try to figure it out. But I'm going to be still and listen for when you tell me. Yeah, and this stuff is hard enough. But when the media is putting all this negative uh, stereotypes by, you know, because everybody looks like they're 21 and is you know got the energy of a of a 12 year old um how do we deal with the stereotypes that make us look like we're failures and we're old and we're we're the minority when really they're the minority i think that's changing i think and i don't think it's in out of any necessarily any sense of social responsibility i think it really <laughs> is because we live in a capitalistic society and there's just so 
you know, the baby boomers aren't dying. More of us. And, and Gen X, you know, my son now is going to be 50 in a couple months, you know, and, and I, it's funny because I watch him and like, I think he's, he's, I'm happy with being old. He's a little <laughs> creeped out about it. <laughs> it's like, because he's just get, getting there and he hasn't quite accepted it yet. Um, but there's there's a lot more of us and people are attention more attention is being paid and as a t and we are living longer it was one thing when you just you know that you came to the end of your life at 60 well now that you know people are still thinking in their mindset that life ends at 60 but you've got 30 more years what are you going to do with those 30 years you can't say it's over it isn't and and it's not like we're putting those 30 years at the end. What we're doing is adolescence is a little long, longer time span. Middle age now isn't like the 40s and the 50s. Middle age might go from 40 to 65. And, and then there's older adulthood. And then there's older, older adulthood. <laughs> you know, we go in stages. It's not like, up, okay. oh, boom, and you fall off this cliff. And that's why caregivers are needed because people are living um, longer than they did. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're seeing more Alzheimer's, you know, that, which, you know, typically happens in your 80s. Well, a lot of people didn't live to be 80 before. Yeah. Well, and then, too, when it comes to care, caregiving, caregiving, it's not there's ageism, there's age and then there's ableism. So it's like some people are healthy into their 90s and then they get sick one day and the next day they drop dead and then some people get have illnesses that are chronic that they have to deal with throughout their lives so it's just a matter of um your life's journey and how you're going to deal with it if you're going to deal with um because everybody's got something they've got to deal with it you get it on the front end you get it in the middle you get it on the back end or you have little bumps that you've got to navigate throughout your entire life. That's pretty much what it is. It's having an attitude and recognizing that every, that life is full of challenges and then you get those chances, you know, to celebrate. So there's challenges and celebrations and you just, you know, you, you got to roll with it, you know, and realize that when you're, when you're in, a place that you don't want to be at realize that at some point it will change and just yeah. instead of putting like oh this is terrible why is this happening to me you just go like yeah well hmm. you know the sun will come out tomorrow i can't believe how fast our time is going uh in the next five minutes what would you like to share that we didn't already ask you that uh, is passionate on your heart you know you, uh, you you said you wrote a book? No, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book. My, with my snap technique. And I've been, um, I just came up with the title for it that I think I'm going to. Snap out of it. <laughs> no, I, you know, <laughs> that's, was, good. that's good. That's going to be a section. It was going to be a snap out of it. You've only been hypnotized to believing you're the, over the hill. But um, my, if anybody wants to follow me on Instagram, it's Marianne Alda underscore aging shamelessly because I'm committed to taking the shame out of getting older. 
And that's why I say, say your age. I'm 75. There's, I'm not embarrassed. I'm not trying to be coy. Oh, I'm a woman of a certain age. I'm 75. Um, and, and happy to be 75 because not everybody gets to be. Um, and you're fortunate enough to be in good health at 75. A lot of people aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's the mind body connection. And I, there's a movie called What the Bleep? What the Bleep Are You Thinking? And it has um, a lot of neuroscientists, physicists, theologians, and they, and an internist who said that the neuropeptides, you know, because our cells are constantly, we're re being, re constantly being replaced. And that the, our emotions affect our neuropeptides so that negative emotion, when you have put a lot of negative emotions, the cells become distorted and unhealthy thoughts create unhealthy cells. You know, like I said, you know, like, how did I get, get the cancer? The cancer wasn't, you know, my cells were not happy with me and I was putting too much in there and that's how it manifested. So happy cells are healthy cells. As a matter of fact, um, Becca Levy did a study at Yale University and it has been proven scientifically that people with a positive outlook about getting older live on average seven and a half years longer than people who have a negative image of yeah, getting I read older. That. Yeah, so. And I'm getting my seven and a half years, I tell you. Oh. So how can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you or learn how to, you know, do the hypnotherapy or whatever? Um, I would say follow me on Instagram because I'm always posting and keeping that up to date. That's probably the best place. It's Marianne Alda underscore aging shamelessly and check out my TED talk because that'll, that'll set you off on a, on the right path. Because I, as I say in my TED talk, because women at a certain age talk about being invisible. And I kept hearing that, oh, I'm invisible. I'm invisible. If you're feeling invisible, find a way to shine. <laughs> Raise your hand. Take a stand for something that lights your fire. Because mm -hmm. when you're on fire, you are not invisible. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Debbie, how can people get a hold of you? Find out what you do. Easiest way is mayordebbie.com. And you'll find out all about the books I've written, The Happiest Corruption, City Council 101, and and a chapter in Wickedly Smart Women, mayordebbie.com. <laughs> you know, Ben Franklin said, evil men rule and good men do nothing. And it's not easy to, uh, to be a politician these days or to stand up and, uh, you know, uh, lead a nation when they're so divided. So I, I, my kudos to you for doing what you do. And remember, all our live shows become recorded pod and video casts on all your favorite platforms. And my number one best-selling book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times and Spreading Wisdom all over the world. It's available wherever books are sold and also on my free membership website, caregiverdave.com, where you can also schedule a free 30-minute initial coaching call to talk about whatever it is you're struggling with. 30 minutes of wisdom can often resolve a debilitating problem. Again, caregiverdave.com. And don't forget my Caregiver Dave Facebook online community of 34,000 caregivers. Lots of tools, resources, videos, 
this radio show, and much more. And did you know that if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google search engine algorithms. So a true heartfelt thank you to all my listeners out there all over the world for tuning in every Wednesday and making us the number one caregiver radio show on the internet. So until next week, same time, same channel, may God richly bless you. And thank you guys so much for coming on. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You can get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. Thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life and learn to put their needs first Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. 